I'm talking live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. He does have a tricky body. Oh, he does. Okay. He doesn't look like, okay, look at if, if that guy's walking down the street. You have no idea who he is. I don't know if you're saying, yeah, he's the best quarterback in the world. This is the press box. So we, our mean, tricky he's... body list is James Harden and Patrick Mahomes. And yeah. now Patrick Mahomes runs kind of fun. With Graney and Bischoff. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Travell Beck. Travell Beck's body is not tricky. We know exactly what Turbo Max body is. It is not tricky in any way. Not at all. That is a complete lie. Stop trying to put Turbo Max in that category. On ESPN Las Vegas. Don't worry. We're going to get to it. Mountain West Conference champs. UNLV has a team going to the NSA tournament. It's got to be big news in this town. Should be. Huge news. It should be. It should first be. time in nine years that yeah. either the men or the women have gone. And first time in 20 that the first women have gone. First time in 20. Yeah, the announcer uh, messed up last night on the preview. Said uh, never been to the NCAA tournament on the pregame. They on the pregame, been. yeah, they've been. They've been. They, I think they I had mean, never. They had never won the Mountain West tournament before. Maybe that's what he was yeah. talking about. So that was uh, well, switching back between that and the Laker game. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I watched the whole UNLV game, but the Lakers were on and they were losing to Houston. Which, you uh, watch one successful team and one team and hilariously one team, lose. Yeah, the Rockets scored what, like thirteen straight in overtime? Uh, it was thirteen. Then they took the three off because of the clock violation, so it was 10. Yeah. But it was okay because Jalen Green, I think, scored 46 in overtime <laughs> because they stopped that guy. Is that – that's the brother, right? Yes, of um, – Jay Green. Yes. Of Jay Green. <laughs> UNLV legend. Yeah. Marvin Menzies recruited so many brothers and cousins. Hoping of, to get the other ones. really good players. Jonathan yes. Kaminga yeah. playing in um, for Golden State. Uh, Marvin Menzies had uh, – it's Joel and Tomboy's brother. Oh, that, that's, I was going to yep. say Joel and Tomboy had yep. a brother who was really good. Yep. The oh. only one he landed was Brandon McCoy. He got Anthony Smith, who Brandon McCoy called his cousin, and Brandon McCoy came to UNLV. And well, he, he got a Maury Hardy. Missed out on Jaden Hardy with a Maury Hardy. Missed out on uh, the good green brother among the two. Now, Hardy, hey. Hardy and Green never went to college, right? Uh, correct. Neither one. Both went the G League, G League. Route, I believe. Okay. And then missed out on Kaminga who also, I believe, went the G League route okay. within Tomboy. Right. So I will say... I mean, um, they were all like... Amori Hardy and Joel Tomboy were both good college players. It's, right, not, like, it's right. not like Menzies took guys that didn't belong That on a didn't know how to team. play because the, he wanted the brothers. Right. Those yeah. were two of the better players of the three-year Marvin right. Menzies era, but... And Jalen Green was... Or Jay Green was, you know, a legend. Yeah, he uh, had that one forced turnover on Malachi Flynn to seal it up. I don't win. know if he's... Uh, I don't know what he was, but the brother's really good because I was watching him last <laughs> night. They couldn't stop that guy. The first bite. Can UNLV beat Wyoming again? Hot take. You got a hot, hot take? take right off the top. Is it a hot take if you gave it to us last week too? Well, last week I said they're going to win. Yeah. Oh, you're going the opposite way. Hot take. Cowboys. Oh. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> also, this this did show he is just re- basically like cover both ends of the set. He's like, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> this. This show has really changed. When I say something against UNLV and Tiger, Tyler immediately boos me. No fun. Come uh, on, they're gonna they got to make it to the semi. It's there's excitement about this team. They end it well. Ignore New Mexico. They end of the season playing well. Yeah. Come on. All right. Ken Palm projects UNLV to win by a single point, so it's effectively a toss up here uh, as to who actually is going to win this game. Here's what I'm fascinated about because this rematch. Like there are there are three things that I think are going to significantly impact 
how this game goes. And there's a level of coaching, there's a level of the players, and there's also a level of the officiating. But I think a lot of this revolves around what happens in the post. Because in the first matchup we saw, Wyoming came down the floor, they threw it into the post to Graham E.K., let him go one-on-one with Royce Ham, and he was bad. He made six And they of did that every possession. Shots. Yes. <laughs> Royce Ham afterwards even joked. He's like, I didn't realize they were going to throw it to him on every <laughs> single play. But, like, that's what Wyoming did. So, there's the three different layers here. First off is the coaching side of this. I have a hard time believing that Jeff Linder, Wyoming's head coach, is going to run down the floor, throw the ball into the post, and let Graham E.K. go one-on-one with Royce Ham 30 time. times Again. in this game, right? right? It did not work the first time. It was one of the least creative offensive games I have seen from a Mountain West team. Like, it was brutal. I cannot imagine that they're going to do that. I think we're still going to see a lot of Graham E.K. post-ups because that's a, a big part of what they yeah. do. But there's got to be more. I, I have to assume there's going to be more creativity from Wyoming that it's not just literally throw it into him, four guys stand around the perimeter while he just right. tries turns to score and Royce Ham against Royce Ham. Doesn't even like use a post move. I've got to assume there's going to be more creativity. Also, though, on the coaching side of this is Kevin Kruger's decision. Do they let Royce Ham defend one on one with Graham Ike? And this is where the players and the officiating come in as well, because after the first matchup with Wyoming. Ask Kevin Kruger about, hey, you know, what was your thought process on not doubling Graham E.K.? Because they they didn't they send didn't a double, double team. And Kevin Kruger kind of said, well, we practiced it. He was like, we were ready to do it, but we never got in foul trouble. If, if He was like, if we had picked up a couple of early fouls, then that might have changed it. If Graham E.K. had been, you know, torching Royce Ham, that would have changed it. Basically, Wyoming came down, threw it into Graham E.K. a few times to start the game, and Royce Ham was really good, didn't get called for any fouls. And Kevin Kruger said, that's how we're defending it until something needs to change. So does Kevin Kruger make any pre-adjustments to double team? Or is he simply waiting around for, hey, there's foul trouble. Or, hey, Royce Ham's not doing as well. Or, hey, Ike's just playing better. And that's where the third level of officiating comes in. Because I think this has been a big deal in a lot of UNLV's games. I think this has been a big deal of why they've been able to slow down David Roddy when they've played them. If the refs let them play on the inside, I have confidence that Royce Ham is going to do a really good job against Graham E.K. again. If they don't let them play, if it's a softer whistle, if it's an easier whistle, Royce Ham might have two fouls in the first yeah. four minutes, and it completely changes how well, UNLV defends in this game. And you absolutely know what happened last time. Even before the game, Linder will be in their ears. Oh. He, he'll, he'll, right yeah. when he walks on the court, it's like, well, you know, last time he'll be in their ears the whole time, which – you know, sometimes works at least for one foul. If I'm Kevin Kruger, I start out the same way. Oh. I, I don't I don't know why I would do anything different. Now, again, right. like you said, if it's two fouls in two minutes, then he's going to have yeah. to change. Yeah. Um, but he, Linder will be in their ear, like, right away, which he should be. That's what I would do. I'd walk on the court and say, you know, last time, <laughs> this guy fouled him ten times. You guys didn't <laughs> blow the whistle. I would say that the entire game. Yeah. Um, so I think Kruger starts out the same. Be interesting to see. You, you broke it down last week. It was just such... A predictable offense. I mean, how much in your mind? I mean, Linder's, you know, he's a good coach. I mean, he's done well at Wyoming. And they have Hunter Maldonado, who's obviously a more creative player, you know, on the outside. 
how much can they really change offensively in eight days if, if this is what they've done all year? And, and you know, it's worked all year so for the most part. The interesting part about that game where UNLV wins is that Graham Ike was 6 of 9, right? Or 6 of 19, excuse me. He was awful. Like, that's horrific efficiency, especially for a big guy to be 6 of 19. Hunter Maldonado was really good. He was really good. He just didn't, they didn't start going to Hunter Maldonado till later in that game, but he scored 22 points. Hunter Maldonado made seven of 10 two-pointers, and he only took two threes, but made one of two threes. Like, Maldonado was really good. And if I, if I was Wyoming, my primary objective would be to use Hunter Maldonado as much as possible because that was a bigger problem for UNLV. Graham Ike wasn't really an issue. Royce Ham did a tremendous job one-on-one. If I am Wyoming, I am trying to use Hunter Maldonado against whoever the hell UNLV puts on him to to defend him. Well, who would right? you have guard him? So the best to me, the best matchup is Donovan Williams. The problem is Donovan Williams hasn't been starting or even playing massive minutes recently. Since he's been back from his injury, Donovan Williams has not been the Donovan Williams we saw in at the end of December and into January. Of the starting lineup, uh, not Bryce Hamilton, not Jordan McCabe, which leaves you with Mike Nuga. Um I they actually what they did, they put Victor Ewalker on him last yeah, time hurt. too. And shoulder injury. Right. We'll see if he's able to play. But they put Victor Ewalker on him, who's got some some length, he's got some length size. And that would presume because what what the the reason it's one of the most uncreative offensive game plans I've ever seen is Graham E. K. posts up like thirty times. Even when they went to Hunter Maldonado, it was still to post up. Like yes. even when they went to their guard, it was like hey, he's gonna back the guy down. He's probably not backing down Victor Ewalker, but you might be able to beat him off the dribble and get to the paint anyways. But that would be my expectations to where Wyoming goes. But they also threw it into Graham Ike 30-something times when it clearly wasn't working after the first 15. They kept doing it. So Even the, the, even the shots that Graham Ike had against Roy Sam were not only forced, but they uh, many of the many of the 6 of 19 had no chance of going in. He didn't have any post moves. There were like these shots that were like line drives at the basket, yeah. and I was sitting there watching that, and I'm like, because I'd seen him on TV when he was really good. I had not seen him live. And just like Roddy live, I'm like, these are these two guys? And, I, you know, huge credit to UNLV because they someone has to defend them. But of those six of 19, like, you know, you say, okay, you know, h- how many of the 13 could have gone in? Like, I don't remember a lot of 13s. Nope. Like, oh, you know, it almost got in. Or, like, he made a nice move and he just missed the, he just missed a layup. But he was – there were, like, turnarounds. There were shots that, they, you know, you kind of flip the ball at the basket like – they didn't have any chance. I mean, of his 19 shots, uh, probably 13 of them or so were hit. He'd catch on the post. He couldn't actually back Royce Ham down, so he just turned around and, and shot just it. just throw it. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. It's shot's not even the right word. Just sort of chuck it at the right. rim from six, seven feet yeah, away and hope it goes in, and that's <laughs> terrible offense. So it's, it's a fascinating matchup because there's a coaching level, a player level, and a referee level that are all – going to play into that Dave Hall is in town oh is he calling this game he's in town now, that's all I know all I know is he's in town because we had a picture of him I think at T-Mobile last oh, night man. at the uh of course at the scores table figuring something out um <laughs> but yeah he's in town he just make the drive over to the uh Thomas and Mac today so now can we get someone to injure him <laughs> coming on over what was it was it Dave Hall that Joel Tomboy kicked his hand Yes. That was Dave Hall? Yes, okay, that was, that was right. That's one of, like, the funniest referee yes, moments that, that Dave UNLV's had, that Joel Tomboy accidentally kicked his hand and, like, nearly sent a finger yes. into the crowd because he kicked it so hard. So, there you go. The other, quickly, the other part 
of this game because everything we've talked about has been Wyoming offensively. Obviously, Bryce Hamilton's efficiency is extremely important, right? If UNLV's doing anything, Hamilton's probably going to have to have three straight good games. But Donovan Williams hasn't been very good or hasn't been used as much since he's been back from injury. Justin Webster's last two games, double digits in both games, and he's actually done it more inside the arc than outside the arc. He's only hit three threes in those last two games. He's seven of ten on two points. He has kind of out of nowhere become somebody that can get to the rim with his own dribble. Now, last game was New Mexico, who's not good defensively, but he's he's done it the last two games. Like they did it against Wyoming, too. So I'm curious to see if they keep getting that from Justin Webster because he's been, I mean, genuinely good. If if those would have been the first two games of the season, I would have been sitting here telling you Justin Webster's going to be the, second like, he's going to average 15 points yeah, a game. Best player. This guy can get to the rim. That's incredible. But we didn't really see that for large portions of the year. And now the last two, he's actually been pretty good at it. And I'm curious if that continues because, again, it's not something that's been a regular part of this team or Justin Webster's game. He scored. He was averaging like 12 or 13 points a game last year for Hawaii. So he's certainly been an offensive piece for a team at the Division One level. Just we haven't seen it a whole lot this season. All right. Coming up next, Carson Wentz got traded. You guys are both dancing. I feel like I shouldn't talk. But we do a radio show, so probably important to talk. Should I know this song? Because I do not know this song. I referenced it, I want to say, over a month ago where I said you don't have to take your clothes off to have a good time. It's this song. It does not help me identify this song at all. That's okay. So Carson Wentz got traded yesterday to the Washington Press Commanders. Box. <laughs> Press box transition. Uh, Indianapolis is getting back two third round picks. One can become a second round pick if Carson Wentz plays. I think it's 70% of the snaps. And they swapped second round picks this year. So no uh, new asset there just a difference in where they will pick what order they will pick in so uh first off on the washington side they get better well which carson wentz is showing up the the kind of bad one the one that always gets hurt and seems to completely (laughs) remove his lower body from the equation when making throws then i'm not so sure how much better he played every game last year and i don't think either of them could take him to a super bowl anyway right and that's so that's the interesting part of this trade is that washington i don't i mean they probably have a decent roster right i don't think anybody's looking at washington saying wow that's a great roster but the defense wasn't even that good last year it was good two years awesome two years ago but last year was more of an average nfl defense but like they weren't going to win a Super Bowl, obviously, with Taylor Heineke. They're not doing it with Carson Wentz either. And that's sort of the the question on this trade. And it's to me, it's it's very similar as the Raiders, where I've been asking like the entire offseason, what's the Raiders' goal? Are they trying to win a Super Bowl? Or are they trying to win like 9, 10 games and just be a respectable NFL team? If Washington is just trying to win like nine games and be a wild card team, be a respectable NFL team, this the, trade makes a lot of then sense. The trade's fine. There, because there's two parts of it. One, Carson Wentz is better than Taylor Heineke, right? Carson right. Wentz last year, he had five or six just horrific moments, but he was he was pretty good. I mean, he was an above average quarterback for most of last season. So he's better than Taylor Heineke. And the other part is they only gave up essentially two third round picks here. Right. Maybe one becomes a second. But like that's nothing for whatever the 15th, 16th best quarterback in football. That's like, that's two Lynn Bowden's, right? That's two guys that you're not going to actually use. 
So that's nothing to me. That's a yeah, I know. Whatever. You get traded before you play a game. Um, that's nothing whatsoever. So if their objective is simply, hey, we want to be a nine, ten win team, we want to try to make the playoffs as a wild card team, we just want to be respectable, then the trade makes a ton Fine. of sense. If they're trying to win a Super Bowl, it makes absolutely well, no sense whatsoever. Try to win a Super Bowl, why give up anything just if you can't move anyone, stay with the guy you have. Right. And uh, you're try not to draft someone with them either. Or, or whatever, right? You're not doing They didn't get better in Dallas for sure. No. No. They didn't get better probably than Philly. No. Uh, they're, so, they're still, right now, third, third best team. Behind, yeah, ahead of the Giants. And it's probably not too far between Philly and Washington, but right now you'd put Philly ahead of them. And if things go right for Washington, they can certainly be the second best team and win nine or ten games. But I think it's it all depends on how or what the goal of the organization is as to how you evaluate that trade. And if it's if it's just a, hey, let's be as, as respectable as possible. Let's not be a joke then the trade makes a lot of sense, even though Carson Wentz is going to get made fun of a lot. But if they're trying to win a Super Bowl, it's kind of stupid. Mm -hmm. Now, on the Colts side here, this is what's fascinating because most people look at the Colts and they see what was a good defense last year. They see Jonathan Taylor. They see a pretty good receiving core and a terrific offensive line. And you basically see, huh, if that team had their Matt Stafford, they might be a legitimate contender to win the Super Bowl. They kind of thought Carson Wentz was going to be that, then traded him away. And now they're sitting here on March 10th. They got rid of Carson Wentz without having their backup plan already in place. And now I'm fascinated to see where they go because the Colts should be going for it because their roster is good enough to actually contend they should be going forward in terms of trying to find whoever the best possible available quarterback is and bringing him in. Is that also via trade? Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Um, Austin Gale tweeted Gardner out a list Minshew. yesterday, by the way, including yeah. Gardner Minshew on it. Yeah. <laughs> they immediately become better than the uh, Eagles quarterback room. I don't think that's true. Um, the free agent class, you have Mitch Trubisky, who's been getting a lot of buzz for some reason, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater, Andy Dalton, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do any of the free agents jump out to you as a, ooh, that could work? Uh, I guess Trubisky and Mariota. Mm. I mean, uh, Mariota's, Mariota, I'm not sure. I like Mariota. I like uh I'd love, I'd love for them to. Uh, well, I should. Oh man, if I say this, it'd be really weird. Um, if they could get like two ones, I would deal Carr. If they, could if you were the Raiders, ones, yeah. If you I would could trade Carr for two ones to Indy, yes, or to anybody, I guess it doesn't really matter where the ones are coming from if you're trading for first. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's like if we're talking trade situations here. The Colts should have already called the Raiders, right? Like that should they should be, have already been on the phone and saying, especially after, well, maybe even before they moved right. Wentz. That should have that should be a conversation if you're getting rid of Carson Wentz. Like you've again, that, that's that report from last week that was funny about Washington calling every team in the league and asking yes. about their starting quarterback, <laughs> which is it's funny, but it's it's what you should be doing, right? Maybe you don't have to waste the call to Kansas City, but. <laughs> You or, should, or Green Bay. Well, got to roll the dice. Right. But like you should be calling a lot of teams and asking about their quarterbacks. Like you should you should be calling the Raiders and trying 
to get a gauge on, okay, if you do trade Carr, what would it take? Right. Right. And then the same for Jimmy Garoppolo and that you should have done the same for Russell Wilson, which reportedly Washington might've offered more than Denver, but the Seahawks went with Denver's offer anyways. Like you absolutely should be calling anyone and everyone that you think might trade their quarter. Like you should be calling Miami and asking about Tua and being like, are you guys trying to move on from him? What's happening? Like every single one that you think there's a 1% chance that guy gets moved. You should be calling and asking just to see and then weighing your options because the Colts need a quarterback. They need something like they can't the Colts like to me that free agent list. They can't sign Andy Dalton. They can't sign Teddy Bridgewater and say this is what we're doing. They, they just that can't be the answer there. Maybe maybe Trubisky, maybe Trubisky, Mariota, Winston, maybe. But even that I that's like you've got to have struck out on all of the possible trade options, right? Like, you have got to strike out on Kirk Cousins, on Derek Carr, on anybody else. Jimmy Garoppolo fascinates me the most. I'm, I am I want to know where Jimmy Garoppolo ends up because I think Trey Lance is going to be the guy. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we have seen Jimmy Garoppolo can be a quarterback that mm-hmm. takes you far in the playoffs, right? He's often going to be the reason you lose in the playoffs, too. But if you've got a good roster there, Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. can game manage you to a lot of playoff wins. That's what the Colts are, right? I, again, are you winning the Super Bowl with that? That's a that's a tough question, but it's possible, right? Garoppolo has lost a Super Bowl and lost an NFC Championship game, so it's possible if you get to the Final Four, get to the Final Two, that you can win it with Jimmy Garoppolo. So that one would be interesting because he is one that's been. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but it's been. He's been the one on the block. Widely forever. assumed he that he's, he's getting, getting traded. Like he's even mentioned it when asked about it. Like, yeah. I think last year at the after they lost the Rams, he kind of gave a get, goodbye right. speech. He kind of right. knew. So that's one that would make a lot of sense. I think for the Colts is a Jimmy Garoppolo situation. Now the problem is, is you're kind of in the same boat you were with Carson Wentz, where you're having to win in spite of your quarterback, right. right? I mean, you're not you're not winning because of Wentz. You're not winning because of Garoppolo. You kind of have to win in spite of that guy. All right, coming up next. Are we sure we have Mark Ziegler today? We have him. Robinson, the handoff. Campbell, they got to get a shot up for the win. The floater goes. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. I came in like a Joining us now from the San Diego Union Tribune, Mark Ziegler. Good morning, Mark. How are you Hello, today? Mark. Doing all right. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, I did just want to let you know that multiple times I have called the new general manager of the Raiders, Mark Ziegler, uh, and not Dave Ziegler because of you. Um, that has happened. It's been a, been a bit of well, a I appreciate that. <laughs> so uh, if you got a big pay raise or something coming your way, uh, I'll take some credit for that. Um, but I did want to ask you, why does San Diego State never lose to UNLV in the Mountain West Tournament? You know, I saw you tweet about that. That is... You know, they have an incredible record. Um, Mike May, their, their sports information director, put this together in the notes. <clears throat> so they've won in Thomas and Mack since 2008-09 39 times. That includes regular season games in the Mountain West and in the conference tournament. 39 times. That is the most by any team in the nation in a venue that they don't call home. They don't play a home <laughs> game in. And number two is Villanova at 32 in Madison Square Garden, and there's a couple others below that. But that is just a staggering number and a staggering, you know, over a long period of time, uh, just consistently winning. And, and I don't know, you know, I think they get fired up for them. Maybe it's a matchup thing. Uh, I, obviously, UNLV is not the program that it once was, and, and San Diego State has been able to maintain, and so that's, that's not good for UNLV. Uh, but they, they just have a, a way of beating them, and, 
And that's why they kind of weren't afraid of being the four seed like some other programs were, I think. Boy, how long did it take May to look that stat up? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that, 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 I mean, that, <laughs> you go through the country. I don't know. Maybe stats are easier to look up than I think. You wrote something today that all eight teams can win this tournament. Why do you think so? Well, I mean, we've seen this. We've seen this league all all season, right? And you see how many close games there are. And you know, everyone likes to complain about referees blowing calls. Well, the only reason everyone's noticing is because all the games are close. Uh, you don't notice a blown call in a fifteen point game. But between when the, when the top teams get together, it, it's always close. And we saw it yesterday. I mean, here we are in the playing games, and you get the six eleven playing game. That should be, you know, it's a thirteen point thirteen and a half point spread. It should be over at halftime. And the thing going to overtime, and I thought San Jose State was going to win that thing. I mean, they, they looked like they were going to win it. Uh, they had that kind of mojo going, and then some poor kid gets a pass against the, 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 the press where he could have turned around and maybe had a two-on-one for a layup to win it right through his hands, like almost hit him in the head <laughs> and loses it. And you should have seen the look on Tim Miles' face. He's standing right there going, are, are you kidding me? I mean, we had this. Uh, but I think that's just a, a sort of precursor of things to come. I mean, you look at the four quarterfinals today. I mean, do you think what are the chances that the, the higher sweet seed wins all four of those? I mean, I think that we're going to see at least one and maybe two or three upsets. Well, and the spreads say so too. I think the biggest spread is maybe five or six. San Diego State's laying four and a half. UNLV is only one. Um, I'm trying to think. I saw the spreads last night, but the books obviously think it's going to be really close. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, to get Tyler's point, I mean, you know, this when you look at when you look at this league, there is no, uh, you know, if you look at the San Diego State teams in the past, there have been a couple that have been very, very good, and if those teams, at least the Malachi Flynn team, obviously was in this conference this year, they would they would win it pretty easily, I think. But without a dominant team, without a San Diego dominant San Diego State team with with UNLV, you know, back on the upswing, but still not what they were. With with New Mexico, nowhere close to what they were. And then you have a, 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 a sort of the middle of the road programs like a Boise and Nevada, uh, Utah State, you know, um, Wyoming, all kind of a lot of those starting to tick upward. So you have the middle moving upward and the, and the top kind of coming down. It's just this big mass of teams. I'm not sure any team in this league is going to win a game in the NCAA tournament. But for just pure, you know, spectator pleasure, it's a great league because they're all really, really tight. And when you have, you know, evenly matched teams, you're going to have close games, and close games are fun to watch. If UNLV beats Wyoming, it's certainly possible Wyoming doesn't go to the NCAA tournament. Do you think it'll be a disappointment for the entire conference if there's only three teams get their name called on Selection Sunday? Well, I think yes, because, um, you know, a month ago or even two weeks ago, everyone thought four were going to get in. And so they kind of had their hearts set on that. And they like to think of themselves as, okay, we're back at a conference. I, I wouldn't, you know, if I'm the conference, I would just be happy to get three after all these years of getting two or one um, and, and say, hey, we're trending in the right direction. Um, I still think, you know, even though four may make it, it's really kind of a paper tiger in, in regards to the NCAA tournament. Because when you strip away all these resumes, there's not a whole lot of meat there in the non-conference. I mean, again, I think there's only two wins against teams that are, are going to be at-large type uh, programs in the field: uh, St. Mary's and uh, well, St. Mary's twice, and uh, and and Creighton. Um, there's not going to be a lot else 
Uh, and the best win remains San Jose State against, against St. Mary's on a neutral floor. But beyond that, you, there's not a lot of great wins in this conference, in the, particularly by Wyoming. I mean, they, they, their best wins are Grand Canyon and Northern <laughs> Iowa. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think you, get, you just be happy to get three and move on. Um, I think uh, if, if some, one of these other four teams, for, you know, seated um, five through eight, somehow jump up and win this tournament, um, and go and get an automatic, uh, then I think Wyoming's really in trouble because I don't think they're taking five out of this conference. What do you think of the job Kevin Kruger has done? Really impressive um, because I think the way to judge a team is is how they play in February and March. I mean, that's one thing that, that Brian Dutcher and before him Steve Fisher always, always harped on. We're going to be better in February and March. And then they go out and prove it. I mean, St. State's record in February is incredible uh, over the last, um, you know, five, six seasons, and to see some of the wins that UNLV put together uh, in February and, and March, you know, very impressive. Uh, and that tells you that, that players have bought into a system and have bought into the grind, because it is a grind, particularly this year with all the COVID reschedules uh, and, and playing a bunch of games in a short amount of time. You've got to be really locked in. Now, when they came to, to Vias Arena uh, middle of the season, uh, and they were at the end of one of those, you know, three days and five days, uh, three games and five day stretches, and got blown out. And they almost kind of quit. And I really started to wonder. I'm like, oh, this is not a good sign. But I give them credit because they went home. They were pissed. They lost like that, and they turned around and started beating some people, including Colorado State twice. And so I think they're trending in the right direction. Now the question is going to be, can he continue to get players in? Um, because when you get transfers, you don't have them as long as if you have freshmen that have been in the system for four years and you can sort of rely on them, and you kind of have to rebuild that culture constantly. So it's a lot harder to do, but I think, I think they're definitely going in the right, right direction. The possibility that somebody like UNLV wins this or Utah State or Fresno State, like we've obviously seen that these teams can play with any of the top teams in the conference, but to me the problem always comes back to I have a hard time seeing UNLV beating Wyoming, Boise State, and then Colorado State or San Diego State three times in three days. Like, certainly I think they can beat any one of those teams, but I just, I have a hard time seeing them doing it three times in a row, which is sort of my hang-up as to why, yeah, San Diego State's probably still going to play Boise State in the final of this thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, all, that's certainly going to be an issue. And, you know, it's funny because um, Nevada put out like kind of a hype video about the conference tournament, and, and Alfred's talking about how, you know, our problem has been we haven't been able to be consistent for 40 minutes. Now we have to do it for 160 <laughs> minutes. And you hear that and you're like, well, they got no chance. <laughs> right? And so, uh, and, and it's probably true with some of these other teams, but I think you could say that about almost everybody this season. I mean, look, I mean, Colorado state seemed like the most solid team in the league. They went, you know, they're undefeated. One of the last three remaining undefeated. They come to the Arena, they lose by 30, you know? So they're capable. I mean, they've lost to UNLV twice. and looked terrible. Um, San Diego State, every game seems to go through stretches where they have score for seven minutes. You know, Boise, uh, Marcus Shaver apparently is sick. You know, and they're so thin that you lose him and, you know, and you give them their, their, their tournament record. I mean, how are they going to win three games? They, they never get to the final. They never have been to the final. Um, and so you start going down the list and you, and you just sort of say, you know, Wyoming hasn't played well to close the season. Um, so, you know, San Diego State is exhausted. So someone has to win this thing. Somebody's going to do it. And, and I don't think you can just say, well, it's just going to be the top two seeds. I, I, I really I think Nevada is going to give Boise, particularly if Shaver's out at full strength, everything they can handle today. I think Fresno State is going to give San Diego State everything they can handle. Um, 
I would not want to be Colorado State because if you saw the way Utah State played yesterday, I mean, they looked really good. I think they're the, they're the most dangerous of those, you know, five through eight. And then UNLV's played well at the end, and, and Wyoming is faltering. So, you know, it, it, I think he's just completely wide open. Is Brian Dutcher and the coaching staff, like, one to ten, how annoyed are they actually that Matt Bradley wasn't on the media's first team All-Mountain West? I don't think they care. Okay. I don't think they look at that stuff. That's <laughs> they're, they're a veteran staff, and, you know, they laugh about it, and you know, they'll give me some issues, and, you know, <laughs> they'll say, oh, you're part of the media, and I'll be like, well, I didn't. I voted him off the first team, but... <laughs> You know, there are seven guys that should have made it, and so however you shook it out, two guys weren't going to be on that first team that probably deserved it. It, it was a weird year. And you know, one thing I've always wondered, and maybe you guys can answer this, why does the, why does the uh, Mountain West do three teams of five? You look at this, I think the, the Pac-12 just is, does a ten-team. I know the WCC does this. It's just a ten-team first team, or maybe that's the, the whole team. The, and the, um, the women's side does that. Women's side do, for the Mountain West does that. They just do ten. Yeah. So what's the answer there? Why does that happen? I have no idea. Well, why don't uh, we gave uh, Kevin Kruger a hard time the other day about it is we said, okay, show us your ballot. And he kind of hemmed and hawed a little and said, well, okay. But at the end of the day, he wouldn't even tell us who he voted for player of the year, even (laughs) though we figured out what he said. Oh, he voted for Roddy by what he said. But again, look, it's not a bit, whatever. You know, there's a media team, a Mountain West team, good for the kids who make it. But it is a little funny. And this just isn't basketball. This is college football just with stupid top 25 polls. Coaches don't say what they do. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, the, the media, the one good thing the media poll has done is it, 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 it's brought the element of transparency, put a little bit of pressure on them, but they're not going to budge on that. The coaches aren't going to budge. But, I, you know, people say, well, why do you have these two polls? It's stupid. And, you know, one says this. The other, I mean, last year, Ada uh, from, from Utah State got 10 of the 11 votes for player of the year. And I was the one who, who, who thought Matt Mitchell should get it. And just because I thought, hey, they won the league outright, he was the best player. He was the glue. He held them together. He was their best defender. Uh, or not? Well, Nathan Mintz is always the best defender on that team, but he was the best perimeter defender. He always guarded the team's top perimeter scorer. Uh, he was their best scorer. I just thought he was the MVP. And then the coaches come out the next day, and he's the MVP. And, and so people get upset about that. And I just said, you know, it's good because people get upset and talk about the league and get more invested in the league. And I think in the end of the day, that's a good thing to have. I mean, you know, so one of the problems about West is you've got kind of these remote markets and it's not really all connected. And this is one thing that kind of connects all the fans and gets them talking. And, and uh, to me, that's positive. Nothing better than fan hatred to bring everybody else together. He's Mark <laughs> Ziegler from the San Diego Union Tribune. Mark, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, my pleasure. We'll, we'll see you at the, Hey, can I make a couple of uh, personnel moves for the Raiders then? <laughs> Yeah, you're, he's a lifelong Raiders fan. He'd like That's to make right. some moves right now. <laughs> what, yeah, what do you need for Carr before you trade him? <laughs> Loaf of bread. Uh, he is not a Carr fan. <laughs> a couple he DBs. Not, he is uh, not a Carr fan. I don't know about if I'd want any draft picks given the Raiders' recent history in the draft. I, I might take other things. <laughs> All right. He's Mark Ziegler, San Diego Union Tribune. Mark, thank you so much. Hey, Mark. All right. Talk to you. Bye. <laughs> Loaf of bread. Yeah, he's uh, the text I get from that nut job about Carr. Anytime he does anything poorly. Now, when he throws for 400 yards, I never hear from Ziggler. But if he throws a pick, he's like, look at this guy. Get rid of him. T- trade him. I mean, he's just he's all over that guy. All right, coming up next, Major League Baseball canceling more games. 
Congratulations to the Lady Rebels of UNLV. Not only did they win the regular season Mountain West title, but also the Mountain West Tournament Championship and will be playing the NCAA Women's Basketball Championship Tournament. Go Rebels! Early in the first half, there appeared to be a play where a buddy caught a Florida State player in the midsection. I saw the play. The kid pushed him twice, and he swung around and hit him. I think it was inadvertent, but that's okay. No, I don't think he hit. I just, just He just swung around, and it was contact. The kid pushed him twice. You can't just let people push you around. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. The ACC disagreed with Jim Beheim. His son, Buddy Beheim, has been suspended for one game. For... And it's against Duke, so Buddy's not playing anymore yes. this year. Uh, so, yep, Jim Beheim, the ACC, not seeing eye to eye on what his son did during that game. If you missed it, it's... I mean, Jim Beheim's right. It's not like a punch, but it was a very uh, strange, forceful hit. To the gut. To the gut of a Florida State player in the, like, right after a shot. Like, a very, very strange-looking play where Buddy Beheim hit somebody. Um, now, the world of baseball. We got more games canceled. Major League Baseball has canceled another week of games. We are up to two total weeks of games being canceled. Uh, however, Major League Baseball can come back and play those games if they really want they to will. because yeah, they, already, they, will. they already talked about yes. playing 162 after saying they canceled a week of games anyways. But there was no agreement yesterday. Now, here's okay. Here's what I'm very confused about. Last week, there was a deadline set by Major League Baseball and I don't know how close they actually were, but the owner's certainly told reporters that they thought they were close. And the three big issues have been the luxury tax, the pool of money for pre-arbitration players and the minimum salary, right? There've obviously, there's a lot that goes into a CBA. So there's other stuff that they discuss, but those have been the three big monetary issues. Since that, since last week, when that deadline passed majorly, the owners have actually started making legitimate concessions on those three monetary issues. They've actually started to come to the middle of what the players have been asking for, which is a good sign for baseball to actually have a CBA and have an agreement at some point. But yesterday, another self-imposed deadline by major league baseball yesterday comes and major league baseball throws into their official proposal for the first time, an international draft. And There's actually a lot of reasons why an international draft should be in the game. There's some reasons why it shouldn't be as well. Like that's a legitimate conversation to have as to whether or not there should be an international draft or not. And the players should probably agree to it if they get other things that they want. But how does major league baseball, like a few hours before their own self-imposed deadline, add something completely new to the CBA? Well, Tell me now, because uh, the players believe it'll limit the Dominican Republic and Latin countries' opportunities. It's okay. So what? why not as I guess opportunities probably not the right word, but like right now, teams can just go into Latin America and just and, take players. and sign players. Yeah, right, so, exactly. Like and some of them being twelve. Well, you can't officially sign them when they're twelve, but that's part of the argument Major League Baseball is using is that guys are going in and having handshake agreements with trainers about a twelve-year-old, and then when they I think it's fifteen, maybe sixteen, they, sign they can officially sign them. So, but right now you just, you go into whatever Latin American for country, all. Southwest airlines, you're at some random baseball field and you see this guy, I, I want him and you sign him, right? right? Like that's, that's what happens. 
Houston Astros are good at it. It's why they've part of the reason why they've been good for a little while here. But that's that's just what it is right now. The players like Fernando Tatis came out and was very much against it because number one, it eliminates any choice for the player. True. Right. The player, like if you're if you're good in a Latin American country, you're gonna have multiple teams that want you, right? And higher spitter. You'll have a chance to go. The bonus pool is the other thing here, is how much money are these players actually going to get? From the reporting, Major League Baseball's um, offer of having a draft, they would still pay the guys as much money or if maybe even a little bit more than what they currently are allowed to pay them in the just free-for-all signing period. So conceivably, there's going to be money there, but there's no negotiation. There's no leverage for the players in that situation if it's a draft. If it's just a free-for-all, there's at least potential for some because, hey, uh, Milwaukee also wants to sign right. me, so you're going to have to give me more money. Right. If they go to a straight draft, then no, yes, you got drafted by is. Chicago. That's you're who going, has your right, rights. If, even if you have no interest in that. So that's a big reason why they push back on it. However, I think that's ultimately... Well, the report was it's a non-starter for the players, which is interesting. I would assume I that's don't. something that they would they would agree on eventually. Well, if they get concessions on the money on the other right. things, then and, that's And also, not bad. if the owners don't throw it in four hours before their self-imposed deadline. Right. Because if they throw that in, you've got to come back and say, okay, well, what are we at? Like, you've got to take some time to figure out what you want on the player side. You can't just say, okay, we agree to whatever you want. Right. So... Whether or not the international draft should or shouldn't be in place isn't really the issue. It's that the owners, four hours before a deadline, said, well, we're adding this to it. What Their do you guys own think? deadline. It's just, it just looks like these two don't know how to negotiate. Like, what are we doing? Like, what? Like, just figure this out. It's okay. They'll t- cancel another week and be at 162. Be playing through <laughs> in the snow in November at, at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> The World Series in the Chicago Series in a blizzard. Exactly. <laughs> It'll be great. It'll be just like uh, we expect baseball to be.